today uh, we're going to continue on in one of our sub-series because we've broken this down into sub-series as we go through the book so that we can more adequately cover all the topics. Uh, and the series we're in right now is called Starting Point because uh, what we're teaching through right now is the time frame when Jesus was sending his disciples out to begin ministry. So it was literally the starting point of the disciples' ministry and a new kind of ministry, uh, one that wasn't based on adhering to the law like they'd seen before, but just by embracing faith. So today we're going to talk about a topic that's really near and dear to me because uh, of the way, the kind of uh, church I was raised in. Uh, but today we'll be discussing how Jesus dealt with the religious leaders of that time that were legalists. Okay, they were legalists. Now, the Jewish leaders loved judging people with regards to the law. Okay, anybody ever met a judgmental person? How about judgmental Christians? No way. But this is kind of what we're talking about, see, because they love to judge people with regards to the law. They love to look righteous themselves by claiming, claiming, notice I'm saying claiming, to be able to adhere to all the law. They claim to keep the law of Moses. Now, we know that's not true because no one ever did that except Jesus. But they claimed to keep the law of Moses, and then they would harshly judge everyone else on how well they kept the law. The problem was the standards that they judged by weren't always God's standards. Okay, and ironically, they even decided that, you know, the law and all the intricacies of the law wasn't enough, so they added more restrictions and rules to the law. Okay, so you can see how self-righteous they were. So much so that they were blinded, right? Blinded by the law. And they became extreme legalists. Okay, I mean extreme legalists. And that's the title of today's message, is Blinded by the Law. Now, in becoming legalists, they kind of lost sight of the purpose, the real purpose of what the Law of Moses was all about. Because the Law of Moses was designed to reveal our inability to be righteous and our need for a Savior. I mean, that's what it was for. It was never designed to actually make you righteous. It was designed to prove that you are not righteous. Okay, that's the whole point of the law. Romans 7, 7 says, Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. That was the point of it. I would never have known that uh, coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. So, righteousness, and we're going to see this today, righteousness is and always has been about faith. It's never been about keeping rules. It's never been about that, okay? And only by focusing on your faith can we actually avoid becoming a legalist. So let's jump into this today. And this could be a while, because I'll be honest with you, I'm passionate about this subject. I am, how many people were ever raised or familiar with a legalistic church? Where there are so many rules, you just said, you know what, I'm not even going. Anybody, anybody ever been there? You know? Okay. So Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 1 says that about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested. Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting, by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Now, here's what it comes down to. The disciples were just hungry. I mean, they were just hungry so they ate some grain from one of the fields they were passing through they just took some grain heads off and ate them now they were totally free to do this according to god's law and according to man's law 
Because the law of Moses even commanded that the Jews leave a part of their crops and not harvest them so that the hungry could come through and eat them. That was even part of the law, Deuteronomy 23:25. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pick the heads with, uh, with, your, uh, with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. So you could take enough from your neighbor's field or for some, from someone's field to satisfy your hunger. You just couldn't harvest it for the sake of selling it or storing it up, right? Because that's why you mentioned the sickle. If you, he's saying if you're hungry, pick some, but don't, you know, like start cutting their crops down and taking them, right? But here's the problem. The Pharisees' problem was the fact that they did this on the Sabbath. That was their problem, that they did this on the Sabbath. And they especially didn't like that Jesus was supposed to be a spiritual leader, and they felt like he approved of it. So they were really bothered by this now luke gives us some more details about this it may help us understand kind of where they're going luke chapter 6 starting in verse 1 says now it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on a sabbath and his disciples were picking the heads of grain rubbing them in their hands and eating the grain so what they were doing was they were taking the, the you know taking these heads of grain and they'd get all the stuff off of it so they could get down to the kernel Right, to eat it, and they would eat the kernel. This is what they were actually doing. This is what the Pharisees uh, saw. So here's, was, here's the problem. The law stated that on the Sabbath, it was supposed to be a day of rest. Now, let me explain to you what the Sabbath is. Has anybody ever been told here that Sunday is the Sabbath? It is not. It has never been. Okay, the Sabbath begins at sunset on Friday and ends on sunset on Saturday. Okay, so that was supposed to be a day of rest, and you were not supposed to do any work at all. Okay, but since the Pharisees were legalists, in their mind, these guys grabbing some lunch was working on the Sabbath, right? And this just shows how extremely legalistic they had actually become. Let me explain what a legalist is. A legalist at that time was someone who put the law above the gospel, or the law above the truth of God's word. Right now, a legalist today is someone who puts religion above the gospel. Anybody know them? Okay, if they're sitting here, show them to me. No, I'm just kidding. Right now, because they were legalists, they didn't see hungry men that were just grabbing a snack, which is what everybody else would have probably seen. They didn't see hungry men who were just trying to grab a snack on their way by. They just saw disciples of Jesus breaking the Sabbath. And they actually thought they broke the Sabbath in three different ways. And this will kill you. Listen to this. First, they considered picking the grain, harvesting. Now, does anybody here see a difference between grabbing a few heads of grain and eating it and harvesting? Okay. They considered that harvesting. The second way they thought they were breaking the law was they considered rubbing the grain in their hands, threshing. Threshing is when you, you know, throw, you pound the wheat and the grain or whatever, and then you throw it up in the air and let the chaff blow away, and you find the kernel and, eat, and use it for sale. So they thought that rubbing it in their hands was equal to threshing. And third, they thought that by doing that and eating it, they were preparing a meal on the Sabbath. Now, does anybody consider that preparing a meal? And I don't think anybody else considered it that way either, except these legalists. Now, as with most legalists, they were grossly, I mean grossly, taking the law out of context, grossly, okay? Because the law did prohibit intentionally working or setting out to work knowing that you weren't supposed to. That was prohibited. 
But the law did not prohibit any kind of work that sustained human life or was necessary for human life. It did not say you couldn't do that. But see, the Jews added, like I said earlier, they added 39 rules to the law. And they added this from their oral traditions. This wasn't inspired. They added this from their oral traditions. And these rules were called the Melachat Shabbat. You like that? The <laughs> right? That's what it was called. Right? And what that means is things forbidden on the Sabbath. That's what it means. They added 39 things that were forbidden on the Sabbath. And they did this. This is going to crack you up. You know why they added these? Because they thought by adding these rules... Adding these extra things you couldn't do, that it would kind of put a layer of protection around the original law, and you'd be so tied up with trying to keep that that you wouldn't, it wouldn't be as easy to break the original law. Like, the original law wasn't hard enough. They put 39 extra rules for the Sabbath in here. I mean, th this is, is amazing. But you know what's funny is I've seen this mindset in church. I've seen this in churches before. I remember there was a church that asked me to guest speak there, and I did a couple times. And we had a few doctrinal differences, but hey, they wanted to hear the truth, and I was willing to give it to them. And so I went there, and uh, there was kind of an uproar going on, and I asked him what the deal was, and he said, well, they don't like the new rule. I'm like, okay. And right away when I hear rule, I just want to, like, spew. But I'm like, okay, what, what is it? He said, well, one of the deacon's daughters was wearing really indecent shorts to one of our gatherings. I said, okay. So we decided to make all shorts outlawed in the church from now on. And I'm going, what? That, that is ridiculous. I'm like, I even told him that. I said, this is ridiculous. I said, how about your pastor man up and go to that deacon and his daughter and say she needs to wear more decent shorts to our outing instead of making everybody else, you know, have to sweat to death on a 90-degree day because one girl, you know, wants to dress indecently. Right? Plus, it, it robs everyone of seeing legs like these. No, I'm just kidding. You know that's a joke if you've seen them. Right? So, I mean, I've literally, I mean, I have literally seen this in action today. Now, just like that's ridiculous, some of the 39 laws that they, that they added were absolutely ridiculous. I'll just give you a few of them. Like, you were not allowed to tie or untie your sandal. So I guess you just had to go to bed with your sandal tied really tight so that it wouldn't come untied the whole next day. I don't know. But you weren't allowed to tie or untie your sandals. Women were not allowed to look into the mirror for fear they'd break it. No, I'm just kidding. The, uh, they weren't allowed to look in the mirror for fear they might find a gray hair and pluck it, which would be work. Right? This is some of the ridiculous stuff that they added to the law. You see how legalism can make people say and do crazy things? I mean, this is some crazy, crazy stuff. See, what happens is legalism makes people more concerned with satisfying man than satisfying God. And that's what happens is you find if you've ever been in a legalistic church, everything you do, you're worried about what so-and-so is going to think about you. What the deacons, what the elders will think about you. What the church will think about you. You're not even, God isn't even in the picture. It's just worrying about what man thinks. Listen, that's, that's a very dangerous situation to be in. It was a dangerous situation then, and it still is today. Because sadly, legalists still exist today. 
They still exist today, and they are just as bad as the Pharisees were then. And some of you may have ran into them. The legalists of today worry about really ridiculous things like dress codes. You will never show me dress codes anywhere in the Bible. It's, it's not in there. All it says is to dress decently, right? There's no such thing as dress codes, but some churches are really big on that, right? Some of them are really big on what kind of music you listen to, right? I mean, they, there's some of them that even forbid their members to listen to anything secular, which means non-Christian music. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I like listening to some 80s every once in a while. Anybody else in here want to listen to some 80s? There might be a time I bust some Leonard Skinner out once in a while, you know what I mean? And, but, I mean, if, if I were going to one of those churches, they'd be like, oh, blasphemy, he's listening to Leonard Skinner. I'm like, free bird. No, anyway. <laughs> right? So, I mean, there's churches that have that. Some churches have the rule that you can't have long hair if you're a man. Some churches say you can't cut your hair if you're a woman. That is ridiculous. It's not in the scripture, but these are hills they're willing to die on. Some of you may have heard of this. Some churches don't like it if people have tattoos. I'll be honest with you. I love, I've seen some of the coolest tattoos ever. I like them. Why don't I have them? I'm a coward. <laughs> Just being honest. If you can find a way to do that where it doesn't hurt me and I have editorial power, then we may discuss it. No, but I mean, I don't, I, why are they worried about that? Piercings. Now, I'll be honest. I don't get piercings. I don't get it. I mean, I understand in the ear, but everywhere else, we're not going to discuss all that. But, I mean, I don't, I don't get that. Why someone would want a needle shoved through their navel is beyond me. And I would worry about a man that's willing to do it. But anyway, but these things right here, I mean, these are things that the legalists love to discuss today. I mean, they love to find ways to find fault with people, so they look at all these legalistic things. And here's the problem is legalists drive more people away from God than they ever bring to him. They hurt the cause of Christ. And I'm going to give you an example. When I was an associate pastor, I was speaking at a church one time, and there was a friend of mine who had gotten deeply involved in drugs. And I'm talking the heavy stuff. I mean, he was an IV drug user. It was, he was deeply involved in a lot of drugs. And it had taken just about everything from him. His relationships. I mean, he didn't have custody of his child. I mean, losing jobs. He was deeply ingrained in the drug culture. And I, I always wanted to see him come to church, but he wanted nothing to do with it. Well, one Wednesday night when I was preaching, he comes through the door. I about cried when I saw him come in. I, I don't, I'm not ashamed to admit that. I was excited to see him because I thought he's going to find out that Jesus loves him. And I preached the message, and he came up and talked to me afterwards. And I'm, he didn't tell me at that moment that he believed, so I'm not sure. But I know that he was very interested. So the next Sunday, he shows up again. And I'm just so excited. And he walks in and sits down. And a deacon walks up and nudges him on the shoulder. And says, take that hat off, son. Reverence the house of God. He left. He left. I was so angry. I couldn't believe the stupidity. Like there's rules about that in the Bible. There are not. There's only rules against like wearing a Patriots hat. That would be sin. <laughs> right? But finally I called this man. I contacted him and, and we sat down and talked together and I told him I'm sorry. You know what I mean? There's, there's ignorant people everywhere basically and 
And so he comes back to church. He, he develops a relationship with Christ. I'd never seen such a change in someone in my life. And six months later, he was killed in a car accident. You know, what would have happened if that legalism that made him ask this young man to take his hat off would have ran him from the gospel message and he would have died in that condition? Legalism is dangerous. It's dangerous. It drives people away. Sometimes when I, when I hear the legalism that went on with the Pharisees and I see the legalism that's going on today, it makes me feel like Sometimes believers are just trying to thin the herd or something. You know what I mean? It's like they don't want as many people come. I don't, I don't understand what they're thinking. I literally heard someone dissuade someone from coming to church because they didn't like, you know, the poor or, or the, you know, uh, the poor or the too dreadful of sinner coming to church. Or they thought they were too unchurched. They might do something to embarrass them. Someone from the same church approached me one time at the Y said, my daughter's finally started, decided to come to church. And I said, well, praise God, that's awesome. He said, yeah, but, you know, she's had a pretty rough lifestyle. And, you know, she's led a pretty, you know, everybody knows what's going on in her life. And it's pretty bad. And I'm like, well, then praise God she's coming to church. He said, yeah, well, I told her she probably wouldn't fit in with us. He said, I told her she'd probably be more comfortable with your kind of people. (laughs) (laughs) I wish that was a lie. I, I mean, I'm not kidding you. And at first, you know that burst of anger goes over you where you have, like, your flesh, like, mini sweats really quick, you know, because someone <laughs> makes you so mad and you get flushed? At first, I was really ticked. But then this, this thought come through my mind, and I thought, awesome. Awesome. Because that's the kind of people Jesus wanted. So I think that's kind of a compliment. And I just looked at him and I said, well, she is certainly welcome. If you want to give me your number, I'd be happy to call her and invite her myself. It's just amazing how sometimes I believe Christians may have forgotten what our actual mission is as believers. I seem to remember Jesus saying something like, Whosoever, say that with me, Whosoever will, let them come. I, I, I remember Jesus saying that. So we should be trying to find ways to bring people in not run them off. You know, I mean, we got to get our mind right. Now, I'm just going to let you know, if you're watching online for the first time, if you're here for the first time, if you're listening on podcasts for the first time, I want you to know something. Grace Christian Church welcomes everybody. I don't care what sin you're involved in, what you look like, what you've done, what people think of you, what your reputation is, how many times you've been in jail. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what people have told you you are. I don't care about any of that. You are welcome here. And here's why you're welcome here. Because Jesus welcomed those people. And I want to be like him. So you're welcome here. I just want to put that out there. Okay, now let's move on. So Jesus is going to answer this accusation. And I love it when the way he deals with the Pharisees. Matthew 12, 3. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the scriptures, remember that, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? Now, first of all, when Jesus said, haven't you read in the scriptures, that was a major 
major insult. Major insult because the Jews took great pride in their knowledge of the scriptures. They took great pride in that. So when Jesus said this, it would have insulted that great religious pride. They probably right away would have said, what did, what did you say? Have I not read? Is that what you said? I mean, this, was, this would have been really, really offensive, right? So Jesus reminded them that there were some exceptions to the law. There were some exceptions to the law. He even gave these specific examples when David and his men ate the showbread that only the priests by law were allowed to eat. Yet God didn't count it as sin or violation of the law on his part. But here's why. See, David at that time was on the run from King Saul who was trying to kill him. He wanted to kill him and his men. So David and his men had been on the run. They were desperate for food. They were in desperate need of sustenance. So eating that bread wasn't a violation because they needed the food to live. And even the rabbis of that time knew that saving a human life took priority over the law. They knew that. Right? And these Pharisees should have known that. So he brought that example up. He's saying, yeah, I know you know what it says, but did you really know what it meant? Because human life is more valuable than rules. Right? Now, he also brought up the priests serving in the temple on the Sabbath. Everything they did, the sacrifices, I mean, uh, all the offerings they brought, that was real work. If you want to read something really gross, read in detail how those sacrifices happened. Read how they did it. Okay, it was work. It was nasty, right? So the priests did that on the Sabbath, but because they were serving or worshiping God, serving and worshiping God always takes priority over the law of Moses. See, here's what it comes down to. God knows our hearts. Okay, he knows the intent of our hearts. He knows why we do what we do. He knows if we're doing something with the desire to reject him or, or sin against him. He knows if that's our desire. You could be doing something that the Bible says is right, but if you're doing it with the wrong heart, it's sin. Do you know, if you're giving to your neighbor so that you can get put in the paper and get attention for it, giving to your neighbor is a good thing, but not, not in the eyes of God because the way you did it was wrong. Right? So God knows the intent of our heart. And if we do something that seems to be breaking the law or sinning, but we're doing it with the right heart, and I'll give you an example. Don't look at me like I'm whacked. I'll give you an example, but he understands why we're doing it. Like, for instance, lying is a sin. Do we all agree to that? But if lying would save an innocent life, would you do it? If someone broke into your home and they had a gun on you and they said, is anyone else in this house and you knew your children were hiding in the closet, would you go, well, to be honest with you, I can't lie. I wouldn't want to sin. My kids are hiding in the closet right behind all the clothes. Would you say that? No, you'd go, just me. Why? Because God knows your heart. You're protecting innocent lives. Your, your heart's desire was not to deceive or reject God. So how many people would lie in a situation that would save a life? I would. I would. So they didn't understand that it's not always about black and white. You have to understand the reasons behind it. You have to understand God knows our heart, and there are exceptions. Now, his next statement was really profound because it, 
after he's already made them mad, he's already pointed out how ignorant they are, he, he reminds them who he is again. And it drives me crazy when people say, you'll never read in the Bible where Jesus claimed to be the Messiah or claimed to be God. And I'm like, what, what did you read? The introduction? Because he constantly does, and here's one of those, one of those examples, Matthew 12, 6. I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. Greater than the temple of God. That's a pretty big proclamation talking about himself. See, the Old Testament temple was always just a temporary sign of what was coming in the future. That's what it was. It was just a temporary sign. The temple was the place where people could meet with God, could worship God. The temple was also the place where people uh, could have their sins atoned for by the priests. So they would go to the temple to communicate with God through a priest to have their sins atoned for. And it was just a makeshift, less superior copy of what was coming. That's what the temple was. Because Jesus was the real temple that the temporary temple was pointing to. They designed that temple to show them you need someone to make atonement for you, to forgive your sins, and to open a line of communication between you and God. And this temple was pointing them to the fact that Jesus was coming and would do that for them. Because in Jesus, we find more than just temporary forgiveness. We find eternal forgiveness and eternal life, eternal atonement. Jesus was and is the true temple of God. And here's what's amazing about that, is that when you trust Christ for your eternal life, and a part of God moves in here, you're carrying the temple with you. You're carrying it with you because you can communicate with God at any time through Jesus. You can have open fellowship with God at any time. You can get forgiveness of your sin at any time because he'll be living right inside you. So Jesus was saying, there's one, me, greater than the temple. That is me, the Son of God, the Messiah. Now he once again points out some of their ignorance here. Matthew 12, 7. He said, but you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the what? The meaning of the scripture. There is a difference between knowing what it says and knowing what it means. There's a big difference. If you, would have known, if you knew the meaning of the scripture, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifice. Now again, I mean, this had to tick them off because he points out they have a lack of understanding in the word. So he, what he did was he actually quoted Hosea to prove their ignorance. So they would have known what he was doing. Hosea 6.6 6 says, uh, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifice. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. I, I just love that because, see, the Jews made the mistake of thinking doing good works was equal to having eternal life. It never has been and it never will be. They made that mistake. So what they did was they focused on trying to keep the rules, not trying to understand what the rules were about why they were there. The rules were there to say, you aren't good enough. Had they really thought about it, they'd say, you know, honestly, I don't tell anybody this, but I fall short of keeping all these laws every day. Anybody ever feel that way in your Christian walk? You just feel like, gosh, I am so thankful for grace because I am terrible at being good all the time. 
You know, I'm very open about it. I don't care if you know I make mistakes. I think I make it pretty obvious. But, I mean, you ever feel that frustration that you do something, you're going, I can't believe I did that again. Especially like if you hit your hand with a hammer, anybody go, praise the Lord, bless his name. Anybody say that? Recently, I fell 18 feet out of a tree stand. Yeah, I look like I fought Mike Tyson. Right? And I was so angry on the way down. <laughs> Seemed like a long time as I was hitting every branch. I'm like, ooh, I wish I ooh, would have paid ooh, attention as I'm going down. Got up, my sight's all blurred, I'm bleeding. And I'm like, stupid, I can't write all the way. And you know, <laughs> you know, maybe not everything I said and thought at that time was righteous. You know, we make mistakes. We are human beings. Had they focused on the fact that, listen, you are not righteous in and of yourself. The law was designed to prove to you that you need someone to make redemption for you. You need someone to pay the price for you. Had they paid attention to that, they wouldn't have been legalists. But their legalism had blinded them to the innocent, even the innocent actions of these disciples. Matthew 28 in the Matthew 28 Jesus speaks uh, about the commandments that are that they should have been looking at Matthew 29 rather Matthew 29 verse 38 says Jesus replied you must love the Lord with all your heart all your soul and all your mind this is the first and what greatest Greatest commandment and second is equally important love your neighbor as yourself the entire law And all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. If they loved their neighbor like themselves, would they have been upset that those disciples were hungry and ate some grain that they were allowed to eat? No, they wouldn't have been upset about that. But they were sold out to legalism. They even ended up being the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy when he wrote in Isaiah 29, 13. And so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are what? Far from me, and their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. That word rote means memorization or routine. They're just going through the motions, going through the routine. They didn't really love him. Their hearts weren't really with him. As a matter of fact, in Mark, Jesus even called their worship and their service a farce or a falsehood. Look at this, Mark 7, 7 and 8. It says, Uh, Jesus said their worship is a farce for they teach man-made ideas as commandments from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Man, that is religion in a nutshell, isn't it? Isn't it? People are so worried about keeping the bylaws. People are so worried about making sure everybody in the church thinks they're a good member. Making sure that everybody thinks that that they're rule followers. When the things they're worried about aren't even in the scriptures and the things they should be worried about, like loving people, being merciful, being generous, sharing the gospel, the things like that that are actually important, they ignore them because they're too focused on pleasing man following the man-made rules. Listen, we have some bylaws. It's called the 66 Inspired Books of the Word of God. There's our bylaws. Take a look at them. Don't think I'll finish them today, but there they are. Right now... This is, he, Jesus literally said, listen, all this stuff, all your tithing that you brag about, all of the, the sacrifices you make and the robes and the tassels and 
all the stuff you do in the synagogue, I look at it as a big stinking joke. Because I'm God and I know your hearts and I know you just want the praise of men and I know you just want to look good to the other Jews. It has nothing to do with me. So all your worship, all your rule following is a big fat joke to me. You even added to God's perfect law so that you could look more righteous than other people. I just love, love how he said this. And what he says next was a really powerful declaration of the Messiah. So he's really... I mean, I'm imagining they're not sending him a Christmas card because, I mean, he's really going after him. Matthew 12, 8. For the Son of Man, remember that, is Lord even over what? The Sabbath. Sabbath. Even over the Sabbath. See, the disciples were eating grain because they were hungry. And they needed sustenance. That's why they did it. They needed sustenance. Now, Let's think this through, what we've already talked about. The priests were okay to work in the temple on the Sabbath because they were serving God, right? The Jews should have picked up on this, right? The disciples were hungry from all their travels in serving Jesus or God. So when they ate, even if it wasn't allowed, when they ate, They were doing the same thing the priests were doing. They were getting sustenance for their body because they were serving God on the Sabbath. And it's always okay to serve God on the Sabbath. And Jesus was God on earth. It was the same thing. This is what he wanted to point out to him. Now, when he said the Son of Man, that's a messianic title. That that people back then knew that the Son of Man was 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 the Messiah. So he was saying, they're serving me, the Messiah. They're serving God the Son. And when he said, Lord, even over the Sabbath, he meant, listen, I am God. I I wrote those laws. I determined what was right and what was wrong on the Sabbath, and I still do, and it's me. I am the one who will judge the hearts of those who work on the Sabbath, not you. Because I am God, even on your religious day. I am still God. I am still in charge. I love how this all came together. I love this. Okay, because the one thing we forget in dealing with the Sabbath is it was just meant as a day of rest. That's what it was about. Now listen, when God took a day off, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. He wasn't really tired. Okay? God doesn't get tired. Okay? But... He knew we couldn't work seven days. He knows some people can't work one day, unfortunately. He knows (laughs) that some people work harder at finding ways not to work. They need rest from working hard not to work. It's a long ride to, you know, go let someone else pay for them. But anyway, the reason he did that was because he wanted us to take time to rejuvenate and take care of our bodies. That's what it was about. Okay, it wasn't about, oh, wait a minute, you ate corn chips. I don't think corn chips are on the law. For the Sabbath, this wasn't about legalism. It wasn't about legalism. So before I close, I want to finish with one final thought. As Christ followers, it's really important. It's, I mean, it's really important that we are sold out, that we are committed. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's very important. But we need to be careful just what we are sold out and committed to. We've got to be really, really careful. Make sure your commitment is to serving God, not religion. 
there is a big difference. Make sure your commitment isn't making sure you do everything your church says. Making sure, make sure your commitment is doing everything God says. And if your church disagrees with that, find a new one. Okay? Because that's what pleases God. Doing what you do as a commitment and a service to Him. Because if we're not careful, just like the Pharisees, we can become blinded by legalism. And the more legalistic and judgmental you become, the less like Jesus you become, and the more like the Pharisees you become. And the Pharisees weren't winning anybody to Christ, and I'm assuming you would like to do that, wouldn't you? Win a few people to Christ, lead a few people to eternal life, then drop the legalism, let it go, love people like Christ loved them, and you're not going to have time to judge them. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and close there. We're going to continue this uh, next week. So I'm going to ask if you would please bow your heads. If this is your first time here, we always give an invitation. I say that every week because I mean it every week. But I just believe that we should always give you an opportunity to take that first step. And I'm not just talking to the people here. I'm talking to the people who are watching online and listening online and, and listening to podcasts. Listen, sometimes the word of God speaks to you and you feel like that message was created just for you. Anybody ever felt that way? I know I have. And sometimes when you feel like it's talking to you, guess what? It is talking to you. And I always like to give people the opportunity to let me pray for them. And I don't chase you down after church and I'm not going to call you and I'm not going to email you. I legitimately am going to pray for you and I do pray for you through the week because if you're not sure where you stand with Christ, I want that cleared up. So if you'd like me to pray for you, you're not sure where you stand, just make eye contact with me and put your head right back down. Bless those people. And bless those people. And I'm, I'm going to pray that whatever's holding you back, and it might be you've ran into one too many legalistic people. Maybe you've met one too many judgmental Christians. Maybe you've had one too many bad church experience because of legalistic people. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But I'm going to pray that God removes that from your heart and lets you just focus on the love that took his son to the cross. Because it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, he died for you. So I'm going to pray for you. For those of us who are believers, my prayer for us, and I include myself, is that we remember why we're here and who we serve and make sure that our commitment, our passion, our service, is about pleasing God no matter what man thinks. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. I am so thankful that you can love people like me, people that make mistakes, that sin, that get angry and do dumb things. I'm just thankful that your grace and your love is more powerful than my sin and more powerful than my mistakes and my shortcomings. I don't understand that kind of love, but I am so thankful for it. And I just pray, God, today, if there's someone here or someone listening online or watching that, that doesn't know you, that's a little confused, or maybe they've been hurt or put off by legalistic people or judgmental people, I don't know what the reason is, but whatever it is that's holding them from the grace that you so freely offer, regardless of who we are, I just pray that you wipe that away from their mind and let them just embrace the love that took you to the cross. I pray that they believe that what you did was enough to guarantee their eternal life and on the authority of your word we know that they will be one of yours when they make that decision.
And if they make that decision, God, we don't want them to feel alone. Pray that they reach out to us or if, if they are a long way from here, reach out to a good church close to them or a good Christian close to them so that they can have someone to walk with them in the beginning of this journey. God, for those of us who have been believers, who are believers, no matter how long, it is so easy to get sidetracked and to worry more about what people think about us, what church thinks about us, what other Christians think about us, than to worry about what you think about us. Let us stay focused on serving you, pleasing you. And we know that if we are serving you and pleasing you and focused on you, you're going to do amazing things with our life and touch people in amazing ways that we don't even understand. Let that always be in our mind and let our passion always be for you. We just thank you for all that you do. We pray that you would keep us safe. Let us live what we profess every day. Show your love every day, not just today, not just Sundays. And I pray that if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, that we would be excited about coming together again and giving you the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.